0: Anytime we get emo and divinely lured together, a little All process right. theology, that's like, yeah. like the two main things, the main drivers of my life right there. Welcome, Religionless Church. I'm really excited for you to be a part of this episode today, to be listening in. We have an amazing, gem-packed episode for you all. We have Tim Burton. Tim is a pastor, and he'll be explaining a little bit about what he's doing. But we have this great conversation about process ecclesiology. You heard it here. Process theology intersecting with Ecclesiology. You put those two together and we get process Ecclesiology. So I'm really excited for you to be able to listen in for that. It was such a zesty episode that I was really excited about. We also have some great tunes, kind of Bob Dylan-esque, even, even a little bit of Johnny Cash in there. So our artist is James Warsham, and he's actually a Twitter friend of mine. But you'll hear him later on in the episode. So you'll hear a good chunk of, of Tim and I, and you'll hear a little bit from James, and then you'll hear kind of the finishing bit between Tim and I's conversation. So I'm really excited for you all to be listening in. If you're wondering, what in ecclesiastical heck could religionless church be? Let me give you a little a bit of my two cents of what I think religionless church is. Religionless church is kind of a plan words of a concept that Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the late theologian, came up with, in which the term that he came up with was religionless Christianity. So I'm kind of turning that on its head a little bit by talking about the religionless church. You may be wondering, what in the world could religionless church be? I am thinking and imagining of a church and a space and a way of being the church, that is deinstitutionalized, decentralized, and radical. So, I'm hoping to give voice or be a space for voices to speak into that. So, to continue to be a space to highlight those voices, if you have not done so, you should first give us a rating. Tell us what you think about the show. Give us five stars, preferably. So, make sure you give us a rating. Also, check out all the websites. You'll see a number of websites in the description. You'll see a website for the Way Collective, which is the church that Tim has started. You'll see the website and some links for James and his music. And you'll see my website and some links to get connected with me and with Re- with Religionless Church. So, make sure you are checking all of those links, getting connected with each and every one of our guests and with myself. And without further ado, here is Religionless Church with Mason Meninga. So today we have Tim Burnett. Is that how we say Tim? Burnett? Right. Mm-hmm. Tim Burnett. And Tim Burnett, I, I mean, I'll, I'll let you describe who you are, but I'm going to first describe who I think you are, okay? So okay. Tim Burnett is a pastor, and he is a pastor, or maybe would describe himself differently than this, but a pastor of a church called the Way Collective. And the Way Collective is describes themselves as a new movement in Santa Barbara and its community for people looking to unite by living well for the common good an increasingly decisive, or divisive, rather, world. Uh, is that how you would describe yourself?
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure I wrote that statement. So yeah, I think that is how I would probably describe awesome. it. That's so uh, sweet. Yeah. I mean, we chose the word collective instead of church uh, intentionally. And okay. there's kind of a joke on our website about that. Okay. Uh not it's, you know, it's it says something like it's it's not a church, it's not really not a church, but it's definitely a collective. So all right, so we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. So
0: cool. you you probably wear many different hats. You're obviously a pastor. You um I think I'm pretty you're a, a father, correct? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. You're a father, you are a partner, I'm assuming as well. Yep. And so you're, you wear many different hats in the world. I'm sure you do many other things. But I'm more curious with who is Tim Burnett to Tim
1: Burnett? Wow. <clears throat> that could go a number of directions. Uh, well, I myself would probably describe to myself uh, the reality that I am uh, just in an actual entity in the process of becoming. Which basically <laughs> is to say that uh, I'm a person, uh, and that is not static. that is um, something that is in process and flux and changing all the time. and that person is trying to grow and transform and become um, uh, an even better version of his self and um, and uh, working at it every day, learning, you know, adventuring and. Uh, yeah, hopefully growing. So you you probably I mean you probably would describe yourself
0: even as like an event like you're not a substance of a person like you are you're an event <laughs> that is that is continuing to become in different ways, right? Absolutely,
1: and I don't know how well versed your uh, audience is in some of the terms that we're throwing around. We're kind of being playful with <laughs> with process, philosophy, and theology, but uh, but yeah, that I think that's a really important distinction. Is I'm I'm always learning into how to see myself as, uh, as an event that is always becoming uh, in relationship with other events that are becoming and how that sort of, that juxtapose, you know, against the background of a substance understanding of the world uh, can, can sort of reshape and reframe the way that we think about what it means to be at all.
0: So, quick side note, before we get into more process theology, and before we get into some of the other questions and conversation points that I want to take us to, uh, I want to first describe my like, first entry point that I can maybe point back to about my introduction into process theology. And this introduction point was probably actually like five years before I even heard of the term or even the concept of process theology. But kind of in my the past year, in my reflection back on process theology and kind of how I've journeyed into this world of of process thought, I still remember a moment. I would have, I think I would have just have graduated high school. I was either like just had graduated high school or I just finished my first year of college. It was kind of one of those years, and I was at my best friend's house, and we were like cooking up broths or something, um, doing some sort of backyard grilling or whatever, right? And we got into this kind of philosophical discussion, and I mentioned to him at one point. It was kind of random in the conversation, but I was like, you know, what, like, what even like makes us human? Because we're getting at the point in like within history with our technology that like my arm and like this com- um, composition of body parts is not what makes me Mason. Right. And I mentioned to him, I was like, Cullen, I I think actually what makes us human is our ability to like have memories of an experience. Like it, something about an experience is what actually makes us human. And I remember having that thought, and I know that's not like obviously the, the most well developed thought of process thought, but that was like my first like starting point into like thinking in a process thought way. So. Just, just so you know where I'm where I'm at, and I don't know. I just thought that was a really kind of cool moment to to kind of pinpoint back on. Love it. There you go. Thanks for sharing. So, so what? Let us kind of first start dabble into some of these questions, and I think it's helpful for the audience to hear kind of where you root yourself. So, uh, oftentimes in our culture, we love to root ourselves by telling people what we do. So. I'm kind of interested in that. Like, what what is it that you currently do in the world? And I mentioned, you know, pastor, yeah. but I'm sure you do a number of, a number of other things.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned uh, a few of my relational modalities there: uh, pastor, uh, <laughs> father, partner, uh, friend, son, you know, grandson. All that all that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. That's all a part of it. I, I think I see. Partly my vocation as not just pastoring but curating, uh, um, mm. creating space in in that way for people to have experiences that are transformative um, and that help them, you know, shift their lens to see the world in a different way. Uh, so that's a that's a kind of a more aesthetic play on I think what what much of pastoring is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah. So I I. I guess at my core, I see myself as, um, you know, generally creative um, in that way, and mm. I think obviously we all are uh, on some level if we're participating in in who we're we're becoming. But um, but for the most part, I think that I'm always looking for ways to uh, to kind of harness whatever novelty is presenting itself and to give that to what has mm-hmm. what has been for the sake of The transformation of the world so so I mean you know backing that that camera up and zooming out I I would say that that's kind of like what's at the heart of all the other particular things that I do in my life
0: Uh, so one of those many things that you're creating and curating right now is the way collective something that you've obviously been very much involved with and and probably was something that started years ago in in your mind, probably when you're like showering or listening to a really good emo band and then now is coming to fruition, right? Coming into actuality. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the Way Collective.
1: So many of us mainliners, and by that I mean people who work in denominations like I do. I work with the Disciples Mm -hmm. of Christ, but uh, you know that could be Presbyterian or Methodist or UCC or UU or what or whatever you fill in the blank with. Right. Are sensing that uh, we are uh, in a in a time of change, um, and <laughs> and the future looks bleak for a lot of of people, and um, and yet I'm I'm sort of in this point at this point where I'm carrying. Uh, a deeper sense of the, the gift of the, the vastness of the Christian tradition and wanting to help steward it uh, into the 21st century, whatever it's going to look like, whatever new iteration it will take. Uh, and so with the Way Collective, it's really our attempt to open a space so that people who are sojourning in uh, this postmodern place can come and engage and learn and converse and dialogue uh, and grow. And so <clears throat> we're being intentional, I, I think, with, with the mm-hmm. language that we're using to craft that space. And uh, we're calling ourselves sort of a community of shared practices and values rather than beliefs. So the way and way collective is really encouraging mm-hmm. a way of being in the world, not a way of believing. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. our beliefs are sort of just inherent in, in everything we do, anyways. And so we're we're trying not to. You know, place an emphasis there so much so that we become divisive ourselves because of holding on right. too tightly to certain beliefs. Uh, and yet, you know, I, I think we're locating ourselves in the in the Jesus tradition. So we're we're trying to figure out what it looks like as a community to uh, inhabit our faith in such a way that we're pushing ourselves outside of uh, the tradition as well. And so, so that looks a number of different ways, but. At our core, we're a group of people who are committing to practicing the way of Jesus in the 21st century. Uh, and that's just necessarily going to look uh, quite different than it has in the past, just simply because of the world mm-hmm. we live in and how it's changed.
0: You mentioned uh, really briefly, but I think is a key point into what you're doing with The Way Collective is you're trying to be a people that doesn't necessarily share the same beliefs, but shares a sort of practice, um, a a sort of becoming in the world or a a way of being in the world. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about like maybe the difference between what you see with uh, some uh, traditions having a shared belief system but you having a shared
1: being system, if you right. will.
0: So, can you tell? Can you tell us a little bit more about the differences that you find within that?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I, I would say is that um, beliefs were there in the first place to form something in you. And the problem that we've inherited as postmodern people from Enlightenment thinking is that we we sort of confused the beliefs themselves for the the transformation they were supposed to uh, spark in us and so uh, so that being said uh, I think we've confused f- like form for function and so part of the emphasis mm. on way a way of being is really to get back to the function like what if we just okay. started to say yes to these practices that were gonna form us in that in the same way as the beliefs do uh, and, right. and sort of because our our postmodern world is so uh, full of diversity and multiplicity and, uh, and difference, uh, well, as it always has been, but, but that is such, <laughs> such at the, at the forefront of our world now, um, it's, it's a necessary adjustment, I think, so that we can be a space of hospitality for, for people who don't think, don't believe necessarily the way we do. Um, and so mm-hmm. it, it's this sort of walking the line of, you know we're keeping jesus as a central figure uh, for good reason i mean nobody's pissed off at jesus of nazareth you know what i mean like the dude walking <laughs> around in the first century you know what i mean like the the wandering rabbi healer whatever like like people don't have beef with jesus you know people have beef beef with right christendom and with christians and with like what is right. done in the name of of christ and so we're trying to sort of like see what it feels like today to to root ourselves in one of the great wisdom traditions in our world and one that for most of us was our sacred canopy that we were handed and we grew up with the jesus story right and then say what does it look like to to steward this well for for a new time for today um and that's something i'm sure we could talk another couple hours about but
0: It's kind of interesting this dynamic of belief and being, um, because I, I'm a person that's really influenced by Peter Rollins' yeah. work, and I don't know if you're if you're a Peter Rollins' fan, but he he has this kind of uh, he he takes this sort of psychoanalytic approach to um, right. theology, where he talks a lot a bit uh, or a lot about how belief actually functions. So he's not really interested in what one actually believes, like that's not his care. Yeah. His care is how a belief functions. So, for example, like, you know, if, if let's say we're talking about evolution or whatever, and, I, and I'm more of a fundamentalist mm-hmm. person, and I'm, I, I, I'll get really defensive. Well, what that belief is actually doing is it's, it's a barricade or a barrier to um, something that you're trying to defend yourself against. And so you're using all this other rhetoric and all this other language in this debate with another person as actually just building up your wall and building up your defense system, so it's actually what you believe, um, quote unquote, is actually a sort of a sort of, uh, sort of it functions in a sort of barrier defensive way. So I, I find I, I really find that approach really interesting because I think it really uh, starts to get out uh, and it starts to break down some of what we we claim to believe and actually starts to uh reveal to us a little bit more honestly about what is it that we actually believe and and if we do believe those sort of things like does it what, what how does it function in our lives right. and so i think there's something there and I, and i think the way collective from what i've seen and from what i've heard you talk about and it it seems that you are now forming a sort of community and practice around that idea of trying to uh Maybe not emphasize so much necessarily on what what is believed, but how belief may function, and then maybe how we can find
1: our being within a community. Absolutely, I mean, I think <clears throat> that's a lot. That's a lot of what we're doing. I mean, and I I know Pete uh, and have for for a number of years, and he came up to do an event with us, Pints and Parables, probably like uh, May of last year, maybe. Oh, that's Yeah, awesome. yeah. No, he's he's cool. He's a, he's a, he's the homies. So, uh, but. <clears throat> One one other thing I would just tack on to that probably is that, you know, that that's one of the the largest shifts I think in our in our time in terms of the Christian religion is this movement from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, you know, like what does it look like to to mm-hmm. practice uh our beliefs, you know? Um that's right. that goes all the way back to like existentialist critiques, you know, like from years mm-hmm. ago, but but um what was I going to add? Oh, one of the framings I think is really helpful is that, you know, process people like John Cobb and Philip Clayton talk about, uh, well, specifically Cobb um, has a book called uh, The Structure of Christian Existence, I think. And it's about Go how ahead. our belief systems are really sort of these tapestries that are actually structures of of being or of existence. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, if you think of like, if you went through the entire Christian, uh, you know, docket of doctrines and like what they all are supposed to mean and what they they uh, stand for and what they are supposed to shape in the life of the believer, like the point is, you know, moving you to a structure of existence that is more in line with the claims of that that structure. You know? mm, so yeah, right. Whether it be. Harmonizing those. Yeah. Words. Right. So, so for me, I'm I'm thinking like, <clears throat> I don't think we should lose either, you know. But but mm-hmm. let's talk about what uh, those beliefs were there for, and then let's let's not let's not obsess over them. Obviously, but let's also um, be comfortable with people who believe differently. <laughs> uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that that's a n- n- like I would say that's a necessary shift that we we need to make today.
0: So, tell me a little bit about the story behind the Way Collective. Was it one of those things that started uh, while you're taking a shower, listening to the Get Up Kids or something, right. and then, voila. <laughs>
1: Well, I would say we need to form a community. Yeah. Is that is that what ended up? Well, happening? <laughs> I would say that like it's been a process itself uh, in development. And so years ago, I I worked at used to work at a PCUSA church for a long time, um, and uh, that church was swinging more conservative and leaving the PCUSA, and so I was kind of going mm-hmm. the opposite direction. And so there was a natural sort of parting there that happened, but uh, out of that, I, I I wanted to open this space that had been opened up for me on my own personal uh, journey, and I I wanted it to you know like part of what I had to do was sort of curate this conversation for myself by reading this author, listening to this podcast, trying to figure out like how the, all mm-hmm. these pieces fit together because my. My local church community was not a place I could process all, through all this stuff. And so I really just wanted to see a space opened up that was consistent for people in one location to kind of just go on this spiritual journey together, uh, whatever that looked like. Mm-hmm. And so we probably four years ago now, we we tried doing this uh, where I used to live with some friends and it was good. It, it was fun. It was a it was kind of a deconstructive space as tends to be the case in these um, kinds of communities. But, but for the most part, it wasn't ever really like substantive at all. Um, And I don't know if I really like that word anyways, as a process person, but it it didn't ever feel like uh, there was um, any flow or movement to where we were heading. It was just sort of amorphous um, and chaotic in, in some, in some ways. And so, out of that, uh, I sort of i think I think I learned from that experience that that people who want to start a movement also need to not only know just what they're against but what they are for. And so the <laughs> evolution of it is that now if you if you look at the language that we have on our website and what we're trying to do as we sort of commit each week to these practices and values is Hey, like, there's lots of things you could be about in the world, um, uh, lots of things you can stand against in the world, but this is who we are, and um, and I hope that that this is sort of an invitational uh, way of doing it in a non-coercive way. Um, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. sort of the history of of it. But as many of us know, there's like this exilic experience of. Of, like, journey today that for people who grew up in the Christian faith, that they're kind of one carrying all these questions and doubts and concerns and wondering if there's even anything left on the other side. And so, um, mm-hmm. this is sort of a, an attempt to you know keep moving um, forward, whatever that looks like. And, uh, yeah, it's been years of development, mm-hmm. so.
0: So that's kind of the story behind the Way Collective. I I'm really interested in your journey to process theology. Okay, this is something that I mean for uh, most of Christian theology it hasn't. It's, I mean it's fairly recent for the most part. Um, uh, and I, I guess I haven't in my my journey in myself into process theology haven't mon- haven't met a, a ton of process theologians. Uh, tell tell me then about your journey. How how did you dabble or find yourself in into that world?
1: Yeah, so uh, so when I was in grad school, um, I you know amidst all the the learning and the the ideological deconstruction and the changing that happens when you're when you're in that environment, I had an experience of suffering that was really great as I was diagnosed with cancer, and so okay. uh, I sort of had this. This existential crisis to couple with all that deconstruction that was happening. And mm-hmm. um out of that experience, I was carrying all kinds of new questions and and hurts and um, desires that that weren't being met like in in my study or even in my church community. And so uh, I had a prof- one professor um, in grad school who I could tell, like wouldn't say things that he, Uh, Really thought in class, but (laughs) or to what he was saying, and so I would stay after and sort of just pepper him with questions. And sometimes we'd be there for like an extra hour or hour and a half, just Mm -hmm. going through like the huge questions. And it turns out he was a closet process theologian, closet because uh, Fuller, where I did my MDiv, wasn't really uh, um, hospitable, you know. Right. to probably process people, but, so that was my, my gateway drug, and then, as I sort of started to, I, I was just craving a more philosophical theology anyways, so, um, mm-hmm. and, and that was there, um, in Whitehead, so, so through that, you know, I got, I made fast friends with the homebrewed Christianity guys, and, right, you know, Tripp and Bo were, are some mm-hmm. buds still, so, um, but that was an easy connection, and then the whole Claremont connection, and then it was just right. Pfft. So, um, so yeah, and then ended up, you know, studying with John Cobb last year. So that was fun.
0: Okay. Speaking of which, okay, so I, I did some Facebook stalking and saw that you went to to Claremont. Um, I'm still there. The, Oh, you're still there. Okay. Are you in a PhD program? I'm actually doing a DMin instead. Oh, okay. Huh. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're getting your DMin at Claremont, which is mm-hmm. known as like the Process School. Yeah. Uh, what what's your experience been like? What what has it been like interacting with John Cobb? And I'm sure you're interacting with Clayton. And okay. is Sue Hockey still there? I, mean, I don't know. All, the, all those names and process theology right. that may or may not still be there, but yeah, yeah. What
1: what are uh, what's been your experience there? Well, you know, my experience has been that I, I started working with an organization called Pando Populus uh, a few few years ago to help them put on the huge Whitehead conference, um, okay. and. Ever since I've really gotten into relationship with these people, it's just sort of been an infinitely uh, beautiful experience. Because if you're looking for a group of folks who are sort of progressive socially, open theologically, um, you know, welcome diversity and education uh, and care for the environment and the poor and, uh, you know, things like uh you know like wanting to see um you know the the beauty of the tradition carry on like this is the group mm-hmm. people. um and it's not that there aren't other you know schools of thought out there that that are doing um good work or even you know metaphysical speculation that that is helpful i i just think that there's something special about um, well specifically process but claremont obviously too Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you're hanging out with 93-year-old process theologians who <laughs> you're seeing what their worldview has shaped in them over time, it's pretty attractive.
0: I'm assuming the Way Collective has been greatly informed by process theology, Uh let Let's dive into the meat of that like w- okay. what are the ways that process theology has informed the way collective
1: well, um not a lot of people know this but but uh behind i think the heart behind the the language of the practices and values the specifically the five that we've chosen is a very mm-hmm. whiteheadian uh worldview, and so mm. you go through like our practices are connection, contemplation, critical thinking, creativity, and compassionate action. Connection is really just yeah. affirming a relational worldview. Um, mm-hmm. And then it goes through the, the sort of contemplative and critically thought process of, of existence, and then moves toward creativity, which is really, when people talk about process, they're talking about, the process that Whitehead talks about is creativity. So mm-hmm. that's just central. And then compassionate action is really just feeling the feelings of others. And that's thoroughly Whiteheadian as well. So so undergirding, you know, everything that we are doing. Um, and again, we're I'm not I'm not like uh evangelizing people for whitehead or anything. I don't even say <laughs> anything about that, you know. I it's just more like these are resonant themes that we see in, in the in the Christian tradition and in other great wisdom traditions, and so, so part of what I, I hope to see happen is people learning to employ Whiteheadian ideas, but translate them for a non-Whiteheadian audience, um, because mm. if philosophy doesn't leave us inspired and you know in wonder and and uh, you know, then then what are we doing? And so, right. So uh, that's one way. And then the, the values that we have are also um, ref, reflect some process thinking.
0: So let's say like a, a pastor of a church is listening to this and they're, they're really interested in process theology, but they, they kind of see, like reading through Cobb and Whitehead and Catherine Keller, they, they see kind of these more intellectual or cognitive um, philosophical ways of thinking. And, but they're really having like, a difficult time like, employing this in their, in their ministry into the sort of practicality of, of their lived experience as a pastor in, in their churches. What are some, uh, some really practical ways that you could uh, advise a pastor who's really trying to be informed by process theology in their practical ministry experience?
1: Right. Well, I think it's learning to take the big sort of umbrella ideas um, and to distill them down into something very pragmatic. For mm-hmm. your own spiritual journey, or for your community that you're you're stewarding, and so uh, something like process affirms that relationships run all the way down. Mm. You don't have to do a sermon on Sunday about like process metaphysics, and then get into the weird lexicon of Whiteheadian terms. <laughs> you know what I mean? What you can do right. is have a conversation with your elders or your staff about what does it look like for our community to prioritize relationships so much so mm. that we, that our community becomes vulnerable to being transformed by people who are different than us? So, mm. and then you come up with actions together as to what that would look right. like for your organic community. Um, and, and so I think it's easy for anybody who's sort of just getting into uh, Whitehead or process philosophy or theology to be overwhelmed by uh, you know, the language even itself and the rigor right. of the academics of it. And I, if I didn't have somebody like, you know, like my professor I mentioned or John Cobb sitting there across from me telling me what all these things mean and how to right. like coach you through them, then most mm-hmm. people probably don't necessarily have a grasp on what, what he might be saying. So uh, I think one other, one other piece of advice would be. There are back doors into process thinking um, that don't not just Rob Bell. I I mean, like there are more accessible introductions to process thought, right, right. Um, that that sort of do that um, work of distillation, you know, for you. And then, Mm -hmm. and then I would say that like, if you're the type of person who wants the intellectual engagement of of going into the philosophy of it, there's that easily as well. So. Um, but don't get my advice would just be don't like look for the best of what what process seems to offer you in your in your journey and then think Mm -hmm. creatively about how to share that with other people in a way that's not forcing them into Whitehead's dictionary
0: so the music that you've been hearing throughout the podcast is by our friend James. So I'm really interested, James. What inspired you to make this this EP that we're listening to?
2: Oh man. Um, well, it was I was working in full time ministry um, from 2012 to 2015, and that mm. once I kind of stepped out of that, that's what um, kind of inspired it all, and it was. Man, I didn't write any music at all for, like, over 10 years. Oh, wow. I was, like, completely dried up um, and leaving ministry. I mean, it's a long story, kind of what happened. But basically, you know, me and the rest of an entire staff were kind of driven off um, into our—going our separate ways. And I was a worship pastor in a suburb in North Dallas. and yeah man it was just mostly that it was it was a lot of just kind of feelings of resentment and feelings of confusion and struggles with faith and mm-hmm. and a lot of struggle with how the church in America operates and once you you know I've worked in churches from from 10 people to 5000 people I've I've done kind of every I've done mega churches I've done medium mm. churches and I've I've kind of seen it all and the, the common denominator I saw was there's a certain type of person that tends to lead those things. And it's and it's very similar to American politics. It's mm. it's a kind of a deeply insecure man that needs that feels like they need to control things and they need right. to be in charge of everything. And I I just find that to be gross and I find it to be kind of anti Christ, <laughs> to be honest. Mm.
0: Very and much so, yeah.
2: Yeah, so that that the three songs that I put out, I wrote a couple of others that I didn't feel like I needed to put on there, but these were just kind of a result of that. You know, I it was I was going through kind of my first year of marriage when all of this was going down, and then right when I decided to start writing songs, I, actually too far gone. The, the last song on the EP was the first kind of complete song that I ever really wrote. You know, I've written tons of music and parts of songs but I never I never saw myself as a solo artist. I've been in bands mm-hmm. and stuff, but just leading worship, you kind of get stuck in the week to week kind of grind of planning worship and playing other people's songs and that takes up all of your at least for me, it took up all my creative kind of mind space. Mm-hmm. And so once I escaped that a little bit, I felt like I needed to put some stuff down and so I switched careers and I was doing a lot of driving, and so I actually wrote all three of these songs without a guitar in my hand, and I just started (laughs) writing the words and kind of hearing stuff in my head, and then I would get home that day and just kind of work on it, and they fell into place fairly quickly. I mean, there was uh, Too Far Gone, really, just kind of once I figured out what I wanted it to be, I wrote it pretty quickly, and the other two were I think as the first song on the EP was, it started out as kind of a like a slow piano song, and then I, as I listened to the demo over and over, I was like, I don't know if this fits right, and I still don't know that it fits. It's kind of a Johnny mm-hmm. Cash style song, but it, it made a little bit more sense to me. But anyway, mm-hmm. that, that's pretty much what it's about. It's about abuse of power and manipulation and just kind of the stuff that I went through. And then after I sat with the lyrics for a while I kind of real. I saw some some stuff about myself in it as well
0: mm-hmm.
2: as much as I hate the things that I was writing about I had to be honest with myself and say right well, yeah I'm, I'm guilty of this stuff as well so that's mm. the the weird thing about songwriting is you write these things with maybe a person or an idea in mind and that's what I did but then as I stepped back from it I could see so much of myself in it all as well so
0: so where, where can we get connected with the album, and where can we get connected with you?
2: Yeah, the album is pretty much out everywhere online. It's on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, it's on You can get it for free on noisetrade.com. Um, you can get it on my website. Again, I'm not trying to get rich off of this thing. I just wanted <laughs> to put it out and, and see what happened. My website's jamesworsham.net, uh, W-O-R-S-H-A-M. And I'm on social media, um, Twitter, it's uh, James underscore Worsham, Instagram, it's James Worsham Music, and I believe it's the same on Facebook. Twitter, for some reason, won't let me do James Worsham Music, Mm. but maybe one day.
0: (laughs) One day. Well, thank you so much, James, for sharing your music and everything yeah, that uh, is, was a part of that, that process of making it. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully you all check it out. I, I've been listening, in, listening to it as I've been kind of editing this, this uh, episode, and I've, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I really love the sort of Bob Dylan, even some Johnny Cash elements to it. You are a true Southern boy. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'll let you hang out with your family and and enjoy your Christmas. The, The podcast is Religionless Church. I don't know if I told you that when we were mentioning this. Did I?
1: You did, I think, yeah.
0: Okay, all right. So, all right. so we call ourselves. We, we call the podcast Religionless Church. Okay. And obviously it's kind of picking up on the idea of religionless Christianity, which Bonhoeffer uh, talked a little bit about before he was killed. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's been a number of people who have kind of dabbled in with what that means. And uh, so I, I've kind of got my own, my own thoughts on it. But I'm really interested... The, the reason why I invited you on was because I think the Way Collective is starting to tap into this idea of what I think religionless Christianity and, and if you further it a little bit along, uh, religionless church mm. may have meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I have my thoughts about that, Yeah, but I'm more interested in what you think. Like, when you hear religionless Christianity or religionless church, mm-hmm. and with what you're doing with with the Way Collective, how do you see maybe the Way Collective uh, tapping into those thoughts and ideas of religionless Christianity?
1: Yeah, uh, so it's, it's funny you ask this today because I'm just finishing up a, a blog post called Religion After Religion, um, mm. the end of Christendom as we know it. Uh, and so here's what I think about that. A, like you have this this phrase that gets thrown around called spiritual, but not religious. Right. Um, And that's indicative of this whole group of people. Uh, But I'm more interested in radicalizing religion in the sense of getting back to the root of of what religion actually is. And the Latin of that word legare means bound together. And so Hmm. if you're a relational person uh, like either of us, you know that we are inextricably bound. Uh, to to one another and to our world. And so right. really to be alive is to be religious. Um, the question mm. is, what are we going to be bound in? Uh, or what what will bind us together in the future? Uh, I hope it's things like I mentioned in our, in our practices and values, you know? Um, so for me, what what Bonhoeffer's talking about there and what Pete picks up on in some of his, his thinking, yep. uh, is really that institutional religion that that got in bed with empire in the fourth century and carried on all through the West and got handed down to us um, in the form of what I call the, the bad five C's, which is crusade, coerce, convert, conform, and colonize. Uh, mm. That's what we are resisting. Um, and so... If it's that kind of religion, I think we do need a religionless form of church. But mm. if it's the radical religion that I'm talking about about as to asking the questions about what will we be bound together by now that will form us uh, in our civilization in such a way that we are promoting life, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. then that's another fascinating conversation, because the way collective is really attempting to sort of be um, constructive in that way. Uh, you know, to say, what if it was this, you know? And my hope is that other people all over the world are starting to ask these questions and create organic expressions for their communities that don't look like what the Way Collective looks like in Santa Barbara.
0: Never have found a Interestingly that you, you mentioned about like empire and christendom being part of that I, I really think that like that's what bonhoeffer's getting at right like he had in fact he w- he was killed by by um by a, a sort of authoritarian empire that um that in many ways uh decided to get in in, in bed with with um the the church Right. Uh, now, there were, you know, a number of of Christians in, in Germany that refused to, and um, many of them ended up being killed, mm-hmm. um, Bonhoeffer being one of them. But, it, it, and it certainly seems that Bonhoeffer is, is getting at that. I, even Kierkegaard was getting at that with, with Denmark and, and what, what he was experiencing with Christendom there. Sure. Um, w- what I think is interesting, so that's what they're talking about with. Religionless Christianity. The reason why I like to twist it a little bit to religionless church is I think that there are a number of practices or ways of being that the church has uh, been informed by or influenced by with Christendom. There, there are certain practices that the oh, church yeah. engages with, right? And there are certain ways that the church, churches all around the country organize that are completely informed by a by Christendom. And so what I'm interested in then is how, how is it that we organize? How is it that we share life together in community as a church or however you want to call it? How do you do that in ways that um, are post-Christendom or yeah. um, are maybe even anti-Christendom that are trying to really push back against some of those practices that were um, that were informed by Christendom. So what are your, what are your, some of your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right on. I mean, I carry the question all the time because I sort of work in a mainline denomination and have friends all around town who are clergy and the other ones. And everybody's asking this question of, can we even get out of this? Like, can we even get out mm. of Christendom, uh, in a healthy way? Because we see the, the gift of, of Jesus and, and what he offers people. Um, is there any way for us to take our churches in a new direction? Uh, and we're, we're all we all have question marks next to that. I think. Right. But uh, but I think what you're hitting at is really really important, in the sense that it's almost as if the em- the empiric impulse runs all the way down in Western Christianity, and mm-hmm. what is needed is either a um. <clears throat> like an a reformation or a uh, I'm not a huge fan of rewords, so uh, an innovation or uh, an evolution. and um and I think that it will mean for a lot of communities uh, trying something completely different and not just trying to tweak what has been mm-hmm. for the sake of that religionless shift. But yeah, uh, But, you know, that being said, I would also say that. Um, that nobody has the answer to what is going to, you know, blossom out of this uh, this time. And that um, I hope that more communities are centering around practices and values that promote overall common good and the well mm-hmm. the individuals involved and those on the margins in their society. So um, whatever that is going to mean for a community, not every community will be the same. Uh, I, hope, I hope that more and more leaders are inviting their communities into that space. Right. I, I, I think what's interesting about
0: doing that... Um... Is doing that is actually really deeply subversive to that institution, um, and we're we're seeing that with like the mainline, and we're seeing that with um, with uh, evangelicalism right now, where right. both of those institutions right now, if if they're wanting to decolonize or to um, become post Christianum, it's actually really deeply subversive to their Institution, And so they're kind of met with this battle of like, okay, well, we want to keep this institution because that's where money and pensions and all sorts of things are a part of. But at the same time, if we actually want to do this thing of decolonizing or um, de-christianoming, uh-huh. if you will, if we want to do that, then we're actually going to be very subversive to this system that was built up because of... Right. Colonialization and Christendom, so it, it's kind of this this battle that they're that I see in both the evangelical world and in the mainline world that they're having to <laughs> to really wrestle with right now, oh, yeah. and th- that's why I think what's interesting about the Way Collective is that, um, I, I mean, I, is this a Disciples of Christ project at all or? So it's kind of this interesting thing that the the disciples of Christ are having to go through right yeah. now is okay. We're we're creating this project that is, um, in many ways, um, a a way of being the church that is post Christianum. Uh-huh. But at the same time, like, how how can you do that and right. still maintain that institution, the disciples of Christ? So that's kind of an interesting battle. Are you experiencing that um, that sort of thing? Because you're in the the, right. the crossfires of that. Because yeah. You've got this Way Collective, and then you've got yourself uh, as a Disciples of Christ minister.
1: So there's a a few things there that I want to speak to. Uh, One is that the Way Collective is hopefully a continuation of and an evolution of what has historically been First Christian Church Disciples of Christ Santa Barbara. So Mm -hmm. this is a ministry of this community that's been here since 1888, um, and, and yet it looks, you know, quite different, even though, yeah. uh, <clears throat> there, there, there's some resonances. Uh, so here's the fascinating thing about that. The disciples, I think are uniquely poised to be the one denomination, quote unquote, that can shift gears in this way, uh, and not lose traction as a movement. And here's what hmm. I mean by that. We should be the one quote again. I'm using denomination and scare quotes because we are a movement at our core, not a denomination. We've institutionalized okay. in part because that's what it takes to manage something that large. Uh, right. And we've got pension, and we've got, you know, uh, requirements and different things that that the ministers have to, um, you know, continuing ed and all and all the things we have to do to right. stay uh, <clears throat> standing. But. But at at its core, the disciples split off from the Presbyterians to say, we're going to be inclusive of all Christians. Anybody who calls themselves a Christian can come to the table and have communion with us. We don't care what it means for them. And so Mm. if you think of that as a um, sort of a platform on which to build something like we're talking about, we now get to shift gears, having been traditionally this historic denominational church that has been here since the 1880s, and now we get to reclaim, again, this is like a radicalizing of who disciples are, mm. identity as the group of people who are so interested in this way of being that we're welcoming of anybody who who identifies with the Christian faith, and now we're saying, or doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm. But this mm-hmm. this reality is not, n- not every denomination operates like that, so. We're intentionally non-credal. We're intentionally yeah. at our core. Uh, that's um, so interesting. So I hope that our denomination can shift gears because if we don't, we will keep going down just like all the rest of them. Um, but yeah, it, we're we're holding suspended judgments too as to if, if it's possible or what that will look like. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a unique opportunity that we have. Uh, <clears throat> and maybe other communities like Solomon's is Solomon's Porch isn't affiliated with anybody, right? No. Yeah. No, we're not. So like independent groups like that have the opportunity to sort of shift gears really easily too.
0: How ecclesiastically zesty was that? I was like, I mean, I wish you could have been able to see my face on on my computer screen as we were, skyping that that uh, that conversation in, because I was just in this constant state of awe. Just, I, I, love, so much process theology, and then to combine that in ways in which communities embody that theology, I just think is so. It puts me in a sort of awe and wonder. And so I I really wish you would have been able to all see me just be in that constant state of awe and wonder. Thank you again so much for taking your time to listen to this podcast. Remember to check out Tim and the Way Collective, and you'll see those links in the description below. And make sure you check out James Music. Again, he is doing some great, wonderful, kind of Johnny Cash, Bob Dylan-esque music that I really think we can all get on board. And you heard him, right? It's totally coming from a place of this existential and personal uh, doubt and, and experience. And so I really want you to be able to help him out by either you know, downloading his music or even hopefully buying some. So all of those links will also be below so you can check out his music. And again, make sure you get connected with me. My website is below in the description. You can also follow me on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. So make sure you get connected with me. You'll see more postings about Religionless Church. And I would love to get in contact with you and connect with you, You know, have a conversation, interact over Twitter, be wonderful. It's like some of the most life-giving experience that I have. So make sure you get in contact with me so we can continue this conversation A Religionless Church. Until next time, peace out, y'all.